Welcome back to the Tape Store, everyone. This is Toby. And this is Brooke. We were made in the 80s. And played in the 90s. And this week, it is all about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the movie, as in from 1990. Right. There has been so much Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles stuff, I mean, that has been released over the years. Yeah. My first experience with the Ninja Turtles was the cartoon, really something that I was hugely into. Um, my cousin, Michael, got me into it. I remember I went over to my grandmother's house one day, and he was there. My grandmother's house, uh, my dad's mom, her house was like the, the central place where everybody went to hang out, and all of my really vivid childhood memories, a lot, a of, them, lot yeah. of them were at my grandmother's house, my mama Charlotte. So we called her mama Charlotte. So I went over there one day, you know, mom or dad or both of them drove me over there, and Michael was there, and... I, it must have been, we must have not seen each other either in a few weeks or maybe a month or something. And you got to understand there's no cell phones. Right. There's no <laughs> internet at this point. It's like 1989, 1990, you know. Yeah, you make a plan, you 80s. stick with it. And if something goes wrong, you just find out later. Right. So when you <laughs> didn't talk to someone for like, and sometimes, yeah, when you didn't talk to someone for a few weeks or a few months, it, I mean, it was like an eternity. Oh, yeah. Right. The cartoon is my first experience with the Ninja Turtles. Right. As as with many of us. I would say most of us. Yeah, the, the animated series... Yeah, so the pilot was shown in December of 1987 as a five-part miniseries and began its official run on October 1st, 1988 and ran all the way through uh, uh, 10 seasons. Oh, wow. 193 episodes. I didn't realize the it cartoon went was great. that long. It was the perfect mixture of, I would say, martial arts, adventure, action, sci-fi. It, it had it all. But it was fun. It was lighthearted. The cartoon was. Yep, that's what I now, mean. The cartoon. The cartoon yeah. was had its moments of being pretty gritty, I remember. And the, and the comic book, which was the first anyone had ever heard of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, it, it, it first arrived on the scene as a comic book. And the comic book was very gritty. It was very dark. It was incredibly popular. It was a hit right away. And, you know, back to my grandmother's house. So I go up to my cousin and I say, hey, Michael, so what's going on? I just remember him looking at me and saying, <laughs> Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I was like, what? Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It's like there's so many adjectives. Right. It's really a clunky name, but here we are. Still saying oh, it. Still loving it. I mean, it's a household name. As soon as he told me all about it, we watched like a couple episodes maybe. Yeah. You know, because back then you could record stuff on VHS. Oh, yeah. I'm sure he showed me And that was the only way you could rewatch it. And his name was Michael, and his favorite Ninja Turtle was Michelangelo. Oh, perfect. (laughs) And I was like, well, who should I be? And he would say, well, you can be Leonardo. He's the leader, the fearless leader. Yeah, I always loved Leonardo. So Leonardo was my favorite, you know, growing up. And I was immediately into it. I was sucked in, loved it. And from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, from this comic book, which I ha- I didn't know it was a comic book until I got older. Right. When me and Jeff started hanging out, my friend Jeff was like, hey, you know it was a comic book, and it was like really, really gritty and really dark. I was like, I didn't know that. Totally here they for They all it. had red masks, and the way that you told them apart was based on their personalities, whereas the cartoon, it color-coded their masks. Right, and you, you know? had more time to spend with it, I would think, in the comic books. It was, yes. it's different. And I, I don't really want to speak with too much right. uh, detail on the comics because I don't know enough, but was hugely into the cartoon. And from the cartoon spawned movies, which we're going to talk about the 1990 film today. Yes. 
also a slew of toys and some excellent video games and from uh, Nintendo all the way to the arcade, Super Nintendo, just some great Ninja Turtle games. Uh, I can think of just somewhere off the top of my head, the, the, the original from NES, the Ninja Turtles games, uh, the arcade, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the arcade game, the Manhattan Project. I mean, I'm just throwing some yeah. some games out there, and if you're a retro gamer from the 90s, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> On March 30th, 1990, there was a live-action film, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. This was a big deal. Yeah. The previous year was 1989, and this was when Batman came out. You know, Tim Burton, it was right around that time. Yeah. And, and my first real growing up with a superhero that I read in comic books and watched on cartoons and stuff, and then seeing a movie, really Batman was the first one where I saw that whole evolution. Yeah. Now, here we are the next year, I'm 10, and there's Ninja Turtles. Now, let's go back a few years. The Richard Donner Superman films of the 78, I saw those. But like actually growing up, and, and never really seeing a live-action Batman movie. I'm not counting Adam West. You know, even though I was a kid, I wasn't into that. Right. Because it was a little too silly. But the bottom line is, I was fresh off the Batman craze. <laughs> still a huge Batman fan. And now here we are seeing another uh, major part of my childhood being turned into something live-action. Yeah. And that's the Ninja Turtles. So when I saw the pictures from the... You know, like, like in the trailers and stuff, I was like, oh my gosh, we're not going to see these guys as cartoons. It's going to be like, this is how they would look in real life. Yeah. And we, if you, if you follow us on Instagram, we posted part of the, like the main part of the trailer for the movie. And I remember we, we've been showing it to our kids this week and like, well, really focusing on just the, the background music because we love it. But like the, the way they did the trailer is really cool. The trailer itself has a great buildup. In fact, uh, and the music, as Brooke mentioned, what was the name of that? It's called House of the Blue Danube. That, yeah, House of the Blue Danube. Yeah, and that's the background music that they use for the Ninja Turtles trailer, and it's perfect because, yeah. honestly, had I not known that was its own song, I would have thought, oh, that's like that sounds like some Ninja Turtles music. I just thought it was, to be honest, until right. you actually went looking for the song. I was like, oh, okay, this is just maybe yeah. something for part of the score right. or whatever. <laughs> yeah, it was just, this is a good movie. This is a good movie. Now, it got a lot of flack for being really dark and gritty, but I don't complain about that at all because right. the Ninja Turtles, it is a a gritty, violent story. Yeah, and like growing up, I I grew up with three boys. I'm an only child, but I was but my neighbors on each side were all boys and they're all like around my age, a little bit older, one a little bit younger. So right. they loved the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And I was like, well, I want to watch it. So I would like try to watch it. We lived, uh, my grandpa lived with us. So I would, and he had this old, the, the old fantastic TV with like the turn dial to mm-hmm. change the channels. So I'd like go in his room and like change it and I'd watch it. I remember vividly watching the intro and it's the part where Mikey's eating the pizza or something like that, and there's like a disco ball. I don't know, like because I never. Yeah, got, that's I, the uh, that's from the opening credits, right? And I remember being like, I want to watch this so bad, and my mom was oh. like, Brooke, what are you watching? Well, the opening credits song for the cartoon is great, right? I mean, what I'm, I guess, what the point I'm getting to is, I I wasn't allowed to watch it then, just the cartoon because it was too violent. So the movie was like out of the question the for me movie as a kid. Is pretty dark. And I love, but I loved that. So I, li- I was so upset. I, I like it so much more now than it is a kid. But as a kid, I was absolutely crazy over it. Loved it. So it was released March thirtieth, nineteen ninety. As I've already said, uh, found out that it's film. It was filmed mostly in North Carolina, on on sets, on stages, and they did film a few iconic scenes in New York City. 
Jim Henson designed the turtles, which is why they're so great. Right. Because nobody can do it like Jim Henson. I mean, these are people, when we talk about people like Jim Henson, we talked about David Bowie with the labyrinth. Yes, and uh, that, of course, is, you know, Jim Henson's We're genius. talking about people that come along like once in a generation and can do something just really incredibly well and just incredibly iconic. And, and Jim Henson was like that with puppets and special effects and yeah. all those things. Yeah, and he, he wanted he he wanted to be involved, but he said that the he the problem he had with the film was that he viewed the violence as excessive, pointless, and not his style. Those those are his words. Clearly, yeah. But he did it as a favor to director Stephen Barron, right. who had directed the pilot episode of The story, Storyteller. If you're a Jim Henson fan, then you know mm-hmm. about The Storyteller. And that's not necessarily bright and shiny either. No. Um, but he was kind of like, look, I'll, 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 do you, I'll do you solid and, and do this for you. Well, we appreciate it, Jim Henson. Thank you, Jim. We appreciate it, Steve Barron. Memory of Jim. <laughs> okay, so let's jump right in. Yep. Opening sequence is a great setup. And, and again, as Brooke was just saying, giving some commentary on this film about it being dark. The opening sequence is really dark. The Ninja Turtles are nowhere to be seen. It's got a great buildup. Yeah. What we see is a montage of crimes being committed by young people. Goods are being stolen, and we hear a female voice that we find is April O'Neil. And I thought this was really good that they did this with the film. April O'Neil gives a lot of the film's exposition. Yes, she's the main vehicle for understanding what has gone on prior to what we're seeing now. She's played by Judith Hogue. I think I'm saying her name right, Mm H-O-A-G, Judith Hogue. Uh, She's with Channel 3 Eyewitness News. Judith Hogue is a fantastic actress. She is great in this. Um, I I just loved her as April O'Neil. Uh, she's giving a news report. Goods are being stolen, mainly those geared towards young people. As I said, skateboards and stereos, I think, are specifically mentioned. Yeah. And we're seeing this montage of people's wallets getting lifted, people's TVs disappearing. And it's very clear that April O'Neil is a hard-nosed reporter, which we know that if we watch the cartoon. But in the film, she's not afraid to be critical of the police and of the city government and how they cannot get a handle on this crime wave. Yep. The secret crime wave. After she gives her report, I mean, it takes us right into the story. But again, no Ninja Turtles. And what I'm saying about the opening, it really opens like a Law & Order episode. Yeah, it kind it, of is like that. And I just thought that that really added to how realistic the film was. Right. And, and how they really tried to, to, to create this gritty realism. April comes out, and this is the one time we see her wearing her iconic yellow getup. Now, in the cartoon, she's in this, like, jumpsuit. Yeah. Now, what did we find about the actress with the jumpsuit, Judith Hogue? Okay, so originally, um, the director had planned to have the jumpsuit. Like, that was going to be her her, her getup, you know, her costume. For the whole film. Yes. Uh, hold on, let me Because find April it. appears in it in every cartoon episode. She's in this, like, yellow getup, and it works because it's a cartoon. Right, and, I, and, I, and that's probably... Most of it. So it says, uh, Stephen Barron wanted to replicate it. It's from the early Mirage comics and from the cartoon. The look was going to be more closely related to the cartoon with a yellow color jumpsuit and a big head of red hair like she has in the, right. in the you know, comics or in the uh, cartoon. However, Judith Hogue found the jumpsuit, quote, horrifying. Oh, gosh. And the idea was nixed. So obviously, you know, her say had, had some sway. Uh, it says the yellow raincoat April wears in the beginning, which is what Toby just referenced, uh, is an homage to the yellow jumpsuit. And that's good because when we see that, we're like, oh, that's April. I and then that, that was a good after choice, that, it was a, it, she was established as April. We didn't have to do that anymore. I liked, look, she played her role so well. Yeah, she, she ha- did. She didn't have to wear the jumpsuit. She was April. Just to jump ahead to the next two movies, 
She's replaced by another actress, Paige Turco, yep. who did an all right job, but she was not Judith Hogue. Paige Turco is a fine actress. I just when you when someone makes such a great impression in a in an opening film or in the first of a series, it's it's tough to to break that that rhythm they set, you know. So at any rate, she comes out of the news station. She's wearing her yellow raincoat, and then she walks up on a news van getting robbed. Bad timing. And yeah. She's like, "You're telling me," you know. She's so she's kinda, yeah, she's trying to be kind of quippy. She's kind of quippy about it, right? But she's obviously freaked out. Well, suddenly we see a a sigh flying through the air that busts a light, and when you're a kid, you're jubilation. Like, oh yes, like you know who that is. <laughs> it's that is happening. That is Raphael. The Ninja Turtles are there. So we hear the sounds. We hear like yeah, yeah. Like we hear like oh the, yeah. We and then we hear a whoa. So yes. we know who it is. Yes. Peeping through the sewer is Raphael. Moments later, he dropped a sigh in the melee. And what's crazy is, and this is the first of several that we're going to hear, and when you're a kid, Raphael drops the D-bomb. He says the D-word. He cusses. So again... I feel like, though, he would, of all of them, he would be the one that would cuss. Oh, he definitely is. Raphael's the one who has the anger issues. He's, he has the he, He's prickly. He's not necessarily someone that you would uh, define as nice. No. But again, within the first 10 minutes, or eight, eight to 10 minutes, you find that this is going to be pretty uh, gritty... Yeah. Pretty realistic. Raphael, these are childhood superheroes of a lot of kids. And, and they're cussing. And he's dropping a D-bomb. I mean, Daniel from the Karate Kid didn't say D until Karate Kid Part 3. I know. When, when things got real tough, I guess. Anyway, another movie, another time. So we switch to the sewers uh, where we see the turtles in all their glory. They are just, you know, bouncing off their usual quips and, and, and sayings. Awesome, excellent, you know. All their things and exchanging their usual tropes, except Raphael, who's upset. Yes. So we're starting to see their various personalities, especially Raphael, who, who really shines in this film. I think he, Leonardo was my favorite turtle. Right. But Raphael is the most fun to watch in the in the movie. Yeah, he he's has the, the biggest, like, I'd say he's got the story. biggest role in the yeah. film. We also see a dynamic change as they go before Splinter. They had their, their little celebration. They just kick butt, you know, and then they enter their lair. And Splinter is waiting. He's, you know, Splinter is Splinter, right? He's <laughs> he's like a human-sized rat, shorter than the average-sized human. I'd say he's about maybe four feet tall. Uh, he's sitting and he's waiting. He's older. And when they come in, the mood immediately changes yep. to, to, to reverence, right? And, and that's I just thought that was a neat dynamic. It's much more emotional in the film. Yes. I was like, I don't, I don't remember that much, much emotion. Or maybe... Maybe it didn't mean as much, the amount of depth of emotion. Like, I just don't remember that. And maybe I wasn't paying attention to it. Uh, maybe I look for that more now. But I right. was just kind of like, wow, in this, the is, this is nice. In the cartoon, Splinter is absolutely their master. He's in charge. They have a reverence for him. They listen to him. But he's much more than a master in the film. Yeah. He plays more as a father to Yeah, them, he's paternal first. He is in the cartoon, but you just see it so much more raw in the film and we see as splinter is talking we see the immediate dynamics of each turtle's character leo is listening yep raf is emotional he's upset michelangelo is ordering a pizza <laughs> and donatello is kind of just there we find immediately that donatello who's voiced by Corey feldman i mean i can't imagine donatello without the voice of Corey oh yeah feldman. and him and michelangelo are obviously a pair they did a great job pairing them they up. did Michelangelo orders the pizza. Splinter gives them this don't don't get too excited. You know, you did well, but you know, remember we can't be seen. Yeah. The the outside world, he said, even those who 
would seek to help us still really wouldn't understand our situation. Right. This isn't going to last very long, not being seen. At any rate, Raph is so frustrated, he decides to go out incognito to see a movie. He's dressed in the usual detective. He's got like the raincoat. Uh, the, hat. the hat. He still sticks out like a sore thumb because he's big and you can still see a lot of right, his turtle face. Right, because he is a turtle. Yeah. So, you know. But he walks up on a mugging. The muggers get away only to cross paths with Casey Jones, played by <laughs> Elias Codius. Another great part yes, of this movie. he is great. Is this guy. Elias Codius, again, great actor. Is a great cast. He's it a really great actor. Was. And Casey Jones, they take so much liberty with Casey in this movie. In the cartoon, he's just real. He's a good character, but like he plays such a, he's almost like a Clint Eastwood. <laughs> yeah. You know, from my, if memory serves me correctly, Casey Jones is just really like, he's cool, but not the way that Elias Cody has played him. He plays him so, so well. Yeah. Raph interrupts Casey Jones while he was trying to get these muggers, and they end up fighting. So you got, like, vigilante against vigilante here. Right, and the guys get away. And the guys get away, and that really upsets Casey Jones. Well, him and Raph essentially fight to a draw. Casey gets a brief upper hand, hits him with a cricket bat, just lays Raphael out. And Raphael gets right up, but Casey Jones is running off. Raphael drops his third D-bomb of the film. Seriously, he's on a roll. It's like 20 minutes in. He gets back late. And Splinter has been waiting up for him. So here we are. <laughs> this father-son situation between Splinter and all the turtles. But he has this really sweet moment Yeah. with Raphael. He puts his hand on Raphael's head. He said, I'm here, my son. I'm, I'm trying to work with you with your anger. You, you've, you've got to meet me halfway, you know. And he puts his hand on Raphael's head. He says, I'm here, my son. And that really just... We both were like, okay. I know. Okay, and, and, you see, and you see the tears <laughs> in Raphael's eyes. And it's like, man, this is... Int- I'm, even as a kid, I was like, man... Th- this is really I know. emotional. It was like it was just so sweet. Splinter is very paternal, very nurturing. Oh, and I think also me being a father now, yeah, five years yeah. on the other side of being mm-hmm. a dad, I really appreciate Splinter's the way he was fleshed out in this film. Right, and I mean, if you're and if you're looking at if you're looking at this movie from like the cultural standpoint of what they're doing, mm. of course they would revere their master. It, it wouldn't. Yes. it wouldn't matter how he treated them. He could have treated them like trash. It's the it, but it's the, the it's reverence. just the way it goes. But he's when dad. I when we saw it like this, though, yeah, not just like that the, he's the master and they're you know he's a daddy. I was like, oh, of course they do whatever he says. Right. He's so he, like he loves them. Yeah. So we're seeing that the turtles and Splinter. This is a family, and it's the, so the film is already doing something. Not I don't want to say different from the cartoon, but they can it, go deeper into it because yeah, they're deeper. they're taking a more adult approach, so they can dive into deeper adult emotions, right. as opposed to just hey, they're caricatures and kids are going to love it, right. you know. Exactly. So meanwhile, April is dealing with her boss, Charles Pennington, played by <laughs> Jay Patterson, who's I wrote in the notes a real square, <laughs> and is stressed out to the max all the time. He is in stress hyperdrive at all times. Always got his, like he comes to April's house I think in the morning one time and his, he looks like he's already been working like a 12 hour day. First of all why is he coming to her house? Like that's always yeah. my question. I'm like, I don't know. Like how he's are y'all like, that yeah. like much friends that you're just coming over? So Charles's issue with April is that April is critical of the city government's inability to do things. You know look the, that's what that's, that's the, her job. That's the job of the press sometimes is to say hey look this isn't right right? Well it's causing stress for her boss because he's getting the heat. He's getting the heat from the police chief and all these people. So his son now, Danny, Charles's son, played by Michael Turney, is 
what we realize when we've we see, already seen we've already seen him he's part of the crime ring we saw him in the beginning in the opening little law and order type montage i know we were like that little crud monkey right like, good grief danny is a wayward son you know and charles is so busy he doesn't he just thinks what's wrong with you danny well because the one of the first things is he's always got those things in his headphones so here and we I'm see like, yep that's he's a teenager right so so here we see a father who Loves his son. Right. I, I think that's clear. He cares for him, but doesn't have time to really figure out what's wrong with him. He only spends enough time with Danny to point out what's wrong. Yeah. And not enough to be like, why are you doing these things? You know, so yeah. Danny Danny does not feel uh, attended to by his father. Uh, we don't know where mom is. So Danny's wayward, you know. Uh, so Charles is super stressed all the time. Meanwhile, the Turtles are watching April on TV. You know, they, they're really... You know, April is like the hot thing, I guess, when it comes to a reporter. She, everybody's watching her. The Turtles are watching her, but April has another fan, a not-so-savory fan, that's watching her on TV, and that's Shredder. We oh finally boy. see, and look, when you're a kid and you watch these cartoons, you know who the Shredder is. Yes. He is their arch-rival. Uh, played by James Sato, if I'm saying that correctly. He sees that April is a problem because she does not care what other people think. She's She's really pushing and getting to the truth. So he yeah. wants her scared, apprehended, freaked out. He wants he wants her stopped. So after April gets screamed at, bugged by her boss, screamed at by the police chief for being critical for, again, the police cannot get a handle on this crime wave. Yeah. So April's getting yelled at by the police chief, and Danny is brought in while she's getting yelled at in yep. cuffs. So Danny has been arrested, uh, likely for stealing, we can assume. Right. So... April walks out. Now, remember, the Ninja Turtles have been watching April on TV. Shredder is watching April on TV. Raphael has taken it upon himself to follow April. Just, I guess just out of curiosity. Yeah. Well, they all think she's cute, too. Right. Which is good because when she goes into the subway, I guess she's going home after being yelled at by the police chief. <laughs> she's accosted by foot soldiers. Raphael is there because he's been following her. He saves her and in a split decision, I guess like an emotional decision, yeah. takes her to the turtles lair in the sewer, not realizing he was being followed by, he didn't get all of them. Yeah. He, he beats up like 10 foot soldiers. I mean, he does He does good. He does. I mean, the Ninja Turtles individually are very formidable. Yeah. As a group, they're even worse. Raphael takes takes out a whole squad, but he he leaves one out. One follows him or one gets up. I'm not sure, but yeah. he, he follows Raph and they find their location. And the foot soldier goes back, and you can assume he goes back to tell Shredder. Yeah. April freaks out when she wakes up initially, but because the turtles and Splinter are so sweet, right. <laughs> they hit it off right away. She invites them over for pizza. I mean, it's like... It's, it's great. You know, but... I mean, to be fair, we would all freak out if we found ourselves in her situation. Yeah, but if they're being so nice and so jovial and funny, right? Yeah, true, yeah. N nice giant rat, Who nice knows? giant turtles. Yeah. She didn't freak out for too long, no. certainly not. During this time, Splinter tells a bit of the origin story. Splinter was a rat that belonged to his master, whose name was Yoshi. And by watching him through his cage, somehow he learned ninjutsu. <laughs> and this is before he even got mutated. Right. Just just your average rat. This was in Japan. So they, when he and his master left Japan for America, Splinter ends up somehow in a sewer. We're going to find all that out later. Mm -hmm. But Splinter ends up in New York. He was homeless. So he goes from being with his master to being homeless in New York. So a lot's going to happen, which he's going to fill in later. Right. But while he was in New York and homeless, he walks up on a broken radioactive canister with four baby turtles covered in this green glowing ooze. 
and their contact with the ooze and Splinter's contact by, you know, he takes these turtles in and he comes in contact with this ooze, this yep. radioactive material. And the turtles and Splinter essentially grow in size and in intellect. Yeah. And that's essentially how and so they... so he, he basically just starts... To train them. Training them slash fathering them. Right. And now they're teenagers. <laughs> and then, of course, they decide at some point to use what they learn to become heroes, essentially. Right. And they had just started this when, when they crossed paths with April. So it's it's a fun evening. April invites them to her house afterward. Uh, the turtles go over. They have pizza. The problem is Splinter, as always, is left it at the lair on his own by himself. Oh. And, and she like, doesn't even want them to go. She's like, no. aw. But remember, Splinter's home alone, and the foot now know the location of the secret lair. <laughs> and they show up, and obviously they trash the place, and they they kidnap Splinter. You don't see that. The turtles just get home. They come and home and discover that he's it's gone. It's trash, yeah. right. And of course, Raphael is first in, mm. and first to react. His reaction's awful because we've already just, seen this yeah. moment between him and Splinter, so we know, oh, it's, oh no, oh yeah, no. It, it's bad. Yeah, it's, it's bad. So he he sad. raises his hands and... He, he shakes his fists at heaven and screams, and it's you just know it's going to be bad. So the turtles have no place to go. So where do they go? Back to April's. And know, they and she opens the door. She's like, "What's wrong?" And they're all like, oh, crying they're, oh, and no, sad, and sweet they're babies. Just, you know, again, they're teenagers. You know, it's just a bunch of kids without their dad now. Oh no, it's even sadder when you put it that way. Right. <laughs> so the next morning, Charles shows up to April's house. This guy, high stress as usual, and he's got Danny with him. Because he can't trust him to be on his own. And, you know, at this point, he's found out that Danny's been arrested and stuff. So, you know, this is where we find an Easter egg at April's house, guys, that takes us right back to yes, a previous episode I of The Tape Store. out. So, as you know, we do episodes on Say by the Bell. We call it Back to Bayside. And the first Say by the Bell episode we covered was House Party, where the Elvis statue got broke at Screech's house and all yes. that. The exact Elvis statue is at I April's know. house. We were watching it, and I said, Toby, it's Elvis. Toby, it's Elvis. Yeah. April and has it. <laughs> And I had to and pause it. We we took a we took a picture. Yeah, we'll we, post it some at some point. No, we need to definitely. Yes. Remember the turtles are there, so they all have to just disappear. And because they're ninjas, they're good at it. But Danny sees one of them. He sees Michelangelo actually hiding under a table for a split second, and then of course he looks again, and Michael, you know, Michelangelo's gone. But yeah, because they're good. Danny saw him. But by this point, April's running Charles and Danny out because she's like crap, crap. <laughs> yeah, and again. Charles and Danny are not connecting at all. Charles begins to berate Danny. Again, Danny's not having it. You know, he's not having it. He splits uh, yeah. while he's like stopped at a red light or something. He's just stopped in New York traffic. You know, yeah. Danny he splits. Gets out of the car. And, yeah, well, because Danny's got a place to go. And where does Danny his, go? His evil master's lair, <laughs> right? Which is this underground like crime headquarters. Loud hip hop music's playing. A kid who's it like is a, all the things that every parent is like, don't go there when yeah. you're a teenager. In the 80s and 90s, you know, graffiti everywhere. Oh my god! Loud music. There's a kid who <laughs> there's like an 11 year old shooting pool. He's like smoking a stogie. It's, that was it's, hilarious. It's a massive arcade, an indoor skating like a you know skateboard place with a uh, teenager's dream. It's just yeah, especially if you're rebellious, right? Here's where we recognize in this film <laughs> the great Sam Rockwell. As a who, mere young one. He is credited as head thug. <laughs> and even then, you see that the guy's got acting chops. Yeah. I mean, Sam Rockwell's brilliant, but like, even when he was that young, you could see like, man. I know, he, we were both like, who? He pops. We know you. Like, yeah. who are you? I was like, that can't be. That can't be. And I looked him up. I was like, Brooke, it's Sam Rockwell. 
It's, wow. It's great. He's giving two other lowlifes a tour of the place. He <laughs> offers them regular or menthol cigarettes. Um, oh, my gosh. And looking like a sore thumb walking through the place is Master Tatsu. Yes. Who is sh- like Shredder's lieutenant. He walks through the whole game room, and then he walks through what is like the training room for the foot soldiers. So you had this one section of the crime headquarters, like the, the foot the foot headquarters, which is like this big play area yeah. for kids. And then you have this other area where the foot soldiers train. Then we hear a gong, and everybody like gets in line and gets out of the way, and here comes the shredder. Yes. And he comes in, and you see his shadow first. It's way, great. It's a great yeah, intro. It's a great. It's a great entrance, and the soundtrack you really notice in the in this scene, it's like an orchestra plus an electric guitar. It's just perfect. Yeah, and he's there to essentially do two things. He dubs a guy a foot soldier. It's like a whole. Um, like a ceremony. ceremony yeah, yeah, yeah. like you've done well, yeah, you've trained the well. The dragon doji is what he puts on him. And then he gives this whole speech where he talks about, we have a threat and we're a family. Like, come on, guys, we're a family here. Now, he's not like, look, Shredder doesn't talk like that. He has this. No, but he's. it's, it's what every uh, dynamic leader tries to make their, no. their uh, followers believe. That you're a family. That I'm we're your father. Con- yeah, I'm your father. We're all contributing to this together. I promise. It's not just that you're mindlessly serving me, which it usually is. And that is an underlying theme of this film is family. Yeah. Because the Shredder says, I'm your father. He actually says that to all the kids that are yeah. there. He goes, you know. Yeah, what family is and what family isn't. Yeah, you're the outcast of society, and I'm your father. So Shredder is like, I'm kind, and I'm taking you all in. And yeah, I'm let, I'm giving you all this freedom. Uh, contrasted against Splinter. the Splinter and the Turtles, which is very nurturing and and what a family is, which is a, about discipline and teaching and, and yeah. From the outset, it looks like Shredder is giving them all of this freedom, and Splinter is giving boundaries and rules. But really what it is is that Shredder's just making foot soldiers that he doesn't care about that are dispensable. Right. And Splinter is so training I, up sons to put out into the world as to prepare, good things, you and, know? And the first thing Splinter says to the Turtles early in the film is, one day I won't be here. And I think that that... Yeah, not, right out of the gate he does say because that. Because I think that, and again, I've had a lot of conversations with parents and, and even kids, my students, you know, even other kids about being a parent. And I say one thing that I teach my kids is I want you guys to be okay when I'm not around because there comes a time when kids can't rely on their parents anymore when they become adults and right. stuff. And whether it's, you know, through tragedy or just through growing up a little bit more right. and we can't be there for things. So parenthood is about preparation. It's not you know, when you raise your children and, and Splinter is, he loves his sons, but he's also preparing them for a life without him. Yeah. And the shredder is just using these kids, which yeah. we know. So, a really important message there, I think. But out of the crowd, Danny raises his hand. He says, Master, and he, you know, Shredder is like quick. He looks like, yeah. who spoke? And Danny raises his hand. We don't see what he says, but we can pretty much assume it's probably what he saw at April's, which is a turtle. Right. Because, you know, the Shredder had just said, we have a new threat. These turtles, these freaks of nature, these giant turtles that are causing us problems. And then Danny's like, oh, what? Uh, I think I saw one. <laughs> right? Lord. So let's switch back to April. She is on a new show where she's giving, for us people watching the film, an opportunity for some exposition yes. about the Foot Clan and their whole history. They started in Japan. Now they're in America. And the Turtles are watching, as always. They're watching TV. And after the show, Leonardo and Raphael immediately get into it over finding Splinter. Yep. Raphael is ready to get out there. Leo, as always, he is... The leader, he's disciplined, and he's like, guys, let's wait. We have to wait until we have as much information as possible before we move. Raph is a hothead. They get into it. They say some things they don't mean. 
and Rife goes to the roof to blow off steam and gets jumped by like 50 foot soldiers. <laughs> and he and he does really well for a while. Yeah. And then more and more come and it's... it's, it's yeah, it's over. It, and, and Raphael's overwhelmed. Casey Jones, who is on top of another building with a <laughs> radio, you know, probably looking for trouble. Yeah. Sees it happen. And this is where we find out that Casey Jones is a good guy, which we know he is if we watch the cartoon. But right, but if by chance the, their movies are first sampling, you might not know that. Right. Raph is thrown through April's roof. After one second, Leo is able to surmise that he's barely alive. The foot soldiers flood the apartment. Yeah. And then they have like a massive showdown. The fight begins. The turtles dispatch Master Tatsu in the foot with the help of Casey Jones, who shows up, who saw Raphael and recognized him. Yeah. Yeah, from their from their encounter in the park. But because Casey Jones is a good guy, just rough around the edges, mm-hmm. he's like, hey, what are you doing beating up on my buddy here? <laughs> you know? Casey Jones is able to buy them some time to escape. And before he escapes, he hears April's answering machine. It's Charles informing April that she's fired. And from another building across the street, across the way, Danny is watching April's home burn. And you can see the guilt on his face. He was the leak, right? Ah. Uh. So Danny goes back to Foot HQ, as we call it, and he immediately strikes up a relationship with Splinter. He's curious about who this giant talking rat is. And this is important because Splinter has a way straight to people's heart because he's wise. He's able to read Danny. Well, it helps that Splinter's also raising teenagers. And he says <laughs> to Danny, basically starts to ask him about his dad and stuff, and and Danny's like, I don't think my dad will really care. And he goes, I don't think that's true. He says, all fathers care for their sons. And again, you know. Yeah. Here comes under- sweet splinter to un- the rescue. An underlying theme. So Raph is comatose. I mean, he is. He's done. He's done for the time being. The group has to go into hiding uh, to a third location. So their sewer layer has been compromised. April's apartment compromised and now burned to the ground. Gosh, poor April. So now they go to this old farmhouse in upstate New York that belonged to April's family. Uh, at least that's about as much information as you get. Right. Casey Jones and April O'Neil immediately begin this romantic tension, and they have such a great chemistry. Yeah, they do. These two. And it, sometimes I'm kind of like, okay, right, okay, you guys like, just need to get right. it over with. Like this is this is a bit much up. for a kids movie, right? Meanwhile, April starts to give more exposition while she draws the turtles. So she she's drawing them on these sketches. She goes into like her little workroom or whatever. Yeah. And she has this monologue, this narration. She talks about each of the turtles or talks about them as a group. And she's drawing them and how all the turtles are dealing with how uh, Splinter is gone. Raphael, his fate is uncertain. And of course, with the turtles gone, the foot's doing great in New York. But Shredder's, right. But Shredder is troubled because he suspects something familiar about both Splinter and the turtles, specifically how the turtles fight. Yes, he said there's yeah, there's something about the way that they fight that's worrisome, basically. If you know the cartoon, then you know that Shredder and Splinter have a history. Right. You know that. But again, the way the film builds it is, again, really great. Now, meanwhile, back at the farmhouse, Raph wakes up. Everything starts to turn around. Two things happen. Raph wakes up. Him and Leonardo reconcile. The turtles start to train again as a unit. And then, through Leonardo's discipline, which beckons back to the comic book, in the cartoon, Leonardo's more of the serious leader, but in the comic book, he's considered actually the, the most religious of all the turtles. Leonardo's discipline. Through his discipline, they discover that Splinter is alive. And yeah, because when, he goes out in the woods to, to meditate, to kind of just and Leonardo, get one with himself. 
Leonardo gets the turtles together and says, "Look, guys, let's yeah. let's let's focus. Let's you know." And they speak to Splinter. He's alive, and they talk to him through meditation. It's a sweet scene. It really is. Or rather, he speaks to them. Yeah. Well, he talks to them. Yeah. Right. That's that's what it is. Yeah. He talks to them. Hope is rekindled though, and they immediately. Go and to doesn't Ab- he say more about being a father again? Like he's just. Yeah. So he says, sweet. "Yeah." He just says, "I love you, my sons. You you've you've completed your training. You're ready." And strength of mind is the most important. Like yeah. it's, it's, a good, it's yeah, strength of body, but it's strength of mind that'll help you. The, you know, defeat their ability to find, to locate, and communicate with Splinter shows that they have reached like a new level of their training, that that has brought them to this level of completion. I guess. Yeah. They go back to April and say, "It's time to go back." They get back to the lair, and they find Danny hiding out at the sewer. This first place they go is back to their sewer hideout, and Danny's there. Uh, Danny is beginning to change. He's starting to see that, you well, know. Splinter's story really reached him, too. That, and Danny's not a bad kid. No. Nah. He's just lost. Danny stays with the group. He takes one of April's drawings from the farm. Uh, you know, April has drawn all the turtles. She gives Danny one of them. Having a crisis of conscience, he decides to go back because he knows where Splinter is. He doesn't tell the turtles. Yeah. Because he's torn. But he goes back to Splinter in the middle of the night. Casey Jones, who refuses to sleep in the sewer, sleeps in the truck. <laughs> he sees Danny leave and follows him. Yep. So Danny goes back. He sits with Splinter. Splinter then fills in the blanks. He says, look, let me tell you who the Shredder guy is. Yeah. So basically, Shredder's real name is Oroku Saki. He and Master Yoshi, who was Splinter's owner, they fought over a woman, Tang Shen. Tang Shen chose Yoshi, Splinter's master. Oroko Saki was enraged with jealousy. Tang Shen and Yoshi flee to the U.S. Oroko Saki, the Shredder, follows them and takes revenge by killing them both. Splinter attacks, as a rat, attacks Oroko Saki, claws his face all up, and then he throws uh, Splinter down, mm-hmm. cuts his ear off, and that's how Splinter ends up homeless and in the sewer yep. and where he discovers the turtles. But basically he tells Danny, like, this guy Shredder is bad news. Like, he's not your father he's not a father casey jones is still in the house he attacks a foot soldier steals his suit we see him he throws his (laughs) fist like yeah i did it yeah i'm like that's to let everyone know that don't worry it's it's still me guys shredder interrupts danny and splinter and finds the drawing of leonardo that april gave him in his pocket great and not only that the dragon doji that danny was wearing was on the ground so the shredder so shredder realizes like you've defected yeah, I've I've lost I have I've lost my t- my reach on this one. Now Shredder is disciplined. He doesn't like freak out. He just he knows that the turtles are back. So he prepares for an all-out assault and they leave Danny and Splinter there. So Casey Jones being there, they're freeing Splinter and stuff and they're caught by Master Tetsu. Casey Jones and Master Tatsu fight. <laughs> Master Tatsu obviously wipes the floor with Casey Jones. Right. He's much more skilled in combat. Casey Jones has to use a cheap shot with a golf club. <laughs> During that scene, we kept being like, just sit down, Casey. I know. Like, he kept just, getting up. He's a tough guy, right? Like, just sit down, man. And he was so funny, like, because he grunts a lot, Master Tatsu. And Casey Jones goes, you know, a little uh, primatine will clear that up for you. Like, Yeah. He's his very, quips were great. He's very quippy. So... Anyway, after Master Tatsu is neutralized, Casey Jones and Danny free Splinter, and then here comes Sam Rockwell, head thug. <laughs> head thug. They're like, hey, we got a loyalty to the Shredder. But Splinter says, the Shredder doesn't care about you. He, you know, all he wants is to use you. And then he goes, we're a family. That's what, that's what, um, you know, the head thug head says, thug. Sam Rockwell. <laughs> yeah. And again, we talk about the theme, Brooke, you yep. know, being family, because Casey Jones goes, wait a minute. You call this a family? You call this. And that guy over there, family. And again, family. 
Yeah, it's I mean, it's crazy how that really is the central theme. I don't even think I fully grasped that until when we, we were about watching it. Tonight, it. Right? Yeah, like I feel like right now it's it's kind of flushing itself out. But it's true. No, yeah. Splinter is freed. So back to the city. The all-out assault that Shredder has mobilized has begun. Basically, a hundred foot soldiers. I mean, yeah. left and right, they're just coming out of the woodwork. But the turtles being a foursome, and they're they're at the top of their game. I mean, they're wiping the floor with them. They end up on top of a roof, just taking them out left and right. And here comes Shredder. Shredder is much more than just the leader of the Foot Clan. He's much more than just this, you know, overlord that's telling these foot soldiers what to do. He's very skilled in combat. And he makes very quick work of the turtles. They, yeah. can't, they can't do anything with him. And then Splinter arrives. You know, Casey Jones and Danny have brought him there. And having put the pieces together, Splinter himself, he realizes that Shredder is Orokusaki. Yeah. And in one of the more ridiculous moments of a villain going from having the upper hand to totally <laughs> blowing it, Shredder, after finessing the turtles easily, yeah. goes for broke and charges Splinter with a spear. Splinter is standing at the edge of a building. Like, come on. Yeah, Splinter, Like, he's going to move away. I mean, like, so Shredder is mopping the floor with the turtles on top of this building. I mean, playing mind games with them. I mean, making even making Leonardo mad. And then suddenly Splinter interrupts the whole thing. <laughs> Standing at the edge of a building. I know who you are, Orokosaki. Shredder, after finessing the turtles, goes for broke, charges Splinter. I with, guess that was just the straw that broke the camel's back. Splinter easily, again, also skilled in combat, even though he's older, easily flips Shredder over the side of the building. <laughs> and and, that's, that's, that's and is holding on to his spear mm-hmm. with a, a nunchuck. I don't know if it's one of Michelangelo's, maybe it is. Splinter easily flips Shredder over the side of this building and starts <laughs> giving him this speech, <laughs> and which is giving Shredder time to reach behind his back oh, and grab Lord. a Tanto, which is a small sword. And he throws it. Splinter catches it, but because he caught the Tanto, this little dagger, he lets the shredder go. Oh my go. God. He has to. <laughs> yeah. You know? And we see Shredder fall into this big trash compactor where Casey Jones goes, oops, and hits the button. And all we see is Shredder's helmet crushed. Shredder goes from like destroying the turtles to Splinter getting into his head. Yeah. And he just runs at him with the spear. He's like, hey. But that harkens back to what Splinter said because he said. The you know basically the battle is not necessarily going to be won with your strength of body but your strength of mind if you cannot ah, good job, if you bro. cannot control what's going on in your mind you will lose the battle and that's exactly what happened with Shredder so really what Splinter said was right and it proved true with actually Splinter's foe. Wow, I mean, good point. That that was on on record as we're recording. You revealed that. <laughs> good job. I mean, I, I just never thought of it from that angle. Is what I'm saying, yeah. Well, all is well, as we like to say here at the tape store and many other places, maybe, but we like to say it here. Then there's an arrest scene. We're seeing foot soldiers left and right getting arrested. I mean, I must, I would think they would check the tra- trash compactor. I mean, we know there's a Ninja Turtles 2. We know that the Shredder isn't dead. but Which I think is why that's the oops isn't misplaced. No, it's not. But all we see is Shredder's helmet get crushed. So that leaves an easy path to a sequel. Uh, and after seeing a bunch of foot soldiers being arrested, Charles and Danny reunite, and it's sweet. Charles is like, Danny, are you all right? You know, and, and that's really, I think, what Danny, instead of hearing, Danny, what's wrong with you, I think what Danny wanted to hear from his dad was, are you all right, kid? Are you yeah, all right? Like, I see you. And, and Danny says, Dad, it's just Dan now. 
and and <laughs> it's neat because he grew up a little bit. I think yeah, I think he's like, look, I'm not Danny, I'm Dan. Like 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 let's I want to change. It's sweet. It's cool. Yeah, it's important to do the right thing. Well, and it's hard dealing with those emotions of you know my parent doesn't understand me, doesn't see me. Right. So I mean, yes, of course they always you know. We as when we're teenagers or well, really, I mean, we do it, we do it at all ages. But you know, you act out a little bit, yeah, to just but get some attention or to be noticed by somebody else. And and it's nice that he has that. It's good to come know, back to the fold kind of moment. It's so dad. important to know that you can turn things around. Yeah, you know, you don't have to change your name to Dan, but no, and he changed. He changes, and hopefully, this situation helps him change his narrative. Yeah. You know, and. But it, it was just really good, and 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 they were sweet together in, in that little moment there. Um, so, meanwhile, April renegotiates a better position with Charles because Charles, you know, goes from Danny to April and is like, "April, I'm sorry, I fired you." And April <laughs> is able to use that to leverage a better position with the news. So Charles is back to being stressed out again, right? You know, as we love him. Yeah, April's getting ready to do a big story, but before she does it. Her and Casey finally kiss. We knew that was coming. And it's a kiss, man. Yeah. And the turtles are watching from the building. They're like, yeah, woo, yeah, woo. And then, of course, then they go right back to the beginning with the awesome, excellent, cow, you know. Okay, yeah, Cowabunga. Yeah, right. And Splinter is the one that says that. Because he <laughs> says, I have always liked Cowabunga. And they love that. And then Splinter says, I made a funny. <laughs> and I have been saying that. For years, yeah, decades. I made a funny, yeah. At this point. A spoiler, I man. made a funny. Like, I mean, like every kid said that after that moment. Yeah, it's a good movie, you know. And I was surprised to see the criticism it got. Because, again, when you're a kid, you don't look at that stuff. No. When you're a kid, you just you don't watch even movies. hear about it. All you hear is if you're... The, the most criticism you would hear would be what your parents would say. And you'd be like, bah, whatever. Right. Of course, when you get older, you mm-hmm. know, you, you do things like read movie reviews and read critics. And I just was really surprised that it got so much flack for... The violence and stuff, which, well, I mean, yeah. I understand the criticism of violence and in, in something that's, you know, for kids, but, but like, I, for me, I just, I loved it. Yeah, I, no, I loved it, but here's my, okay, my, my critique of that critique is I do, okay, on one hand, I understand because Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles still had violence because, like, it did, but it was very did, cartoony yeah. and very campy and very, oh no, and, like, and you know, kind of goofy. But like when I, but speaking specifically of Jim Henson, I don't really know how he has a leg to stand on as far as violence because the Dark Crystal had right. some incredibly violent moments. Yeah, that were golly. very traumatizing, which we will Kira we will address in later episodes. Yeah, just um, one word, Kira. Exactly. Um, and, and, and I want to say that, and we, even like Labyrinth was kind of a little scary in moments. Yeah. That so I don't. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that well, if I can fully understand why he had such a problem with it. But that. I will say that as far as the turtles go and their weapons, Leonardo has katanas, Raphael has size, which are these like three pronged yeah. like dagger type weapons. Uh, Michelangelo has nunchucks and Donatello has a has a bow, which is like a staff, wooden staff. And Donatello and Michelangelo, they use their weapons quite a bit because like you couldn't stab yeah. anybody. You don't see Leonardo hacking people. Leonardo cuts <laughs> a pizza and right. Casey Jones uses Leonardo's katana later on in the movie at some point uh, after that to um yeah they're not to, like, out there using their, wed- their weapons not sta- he uses his side like bust a light you never see him stab anybody so i thought that they did a good job muting the violence with the weapons yeah so, it, it is interesting to me like you said that it, it caught such criticism because i feel like it, there are more violent movies if i'm not that. mistaken the comic books though they actually 
They kill people. I believe they do. Ooh, I want to check those out. So I've you know, never, again, I don't want to speak. I, I don't want to speak on the record with you know authority about something I don't know about. But it, it's a good movie. You know, it's good fun. I mean, if you're a kid, you love it. But I mean, I'm an adult, and I just, I mean, the movie's an absolute blast, and I just appreciate how real it is. It's like Law and Order meets Ninja Turtles. It's just, and and I think the cast was a big part of it too, all the way from supporting roles of Charles. Yeah. But April and Casey, uh, Elias, Cotis, and Judith Hogue. I mean, really were just great, great additions because yeah. the turtles are baked into the cake of the whole thing. We right. know they're going to be fun. We know what they're going to be like. All right. Um, and I think, I think the, as far as the greediness, we needed it for. It's supposed to be set in New York. It is a great. It's not story. set in like. It it's not set in like you know Nashville. It's set in New York. It's got to right. be gritty. So I liked it. Ninja Turtles, nineteen ninety. <laughs> uh, there is a sequel, The Secret of the Use. Yes, we will I love certainly the sequel. Touch on that. We look forward to when we get to continue on with the Turtles. No 90s relics this week as we close things out. Well, we can't really. We are, Most of our 90s relics, well, for me at least, most of our 90s relics are at, in our offices, which are at school, and we are all quarantined. Yes, locked currently. Uh, I have a few, so. but I want to save them for other episodes. Right. But, you know, so, and we also can't go out and thrift because our thrift stores are understandably upsetting. closed. It has been tough. We hope everybody out there is safe. We hope everybody out there is doing the best they can. You are not alone. We hope that however you're dealing with this, that you're you're finding something to help you stay positive and uplifted uh, as we move forward through this crazy time together. So uh, unless we have anything else, uh, Brooke Dewey? I don't think so, nope. If not, let's close the doors to the tape store for another week. We will be back next week. Our Etsy shop is officially open. Yes. Oh, gosh, I can't believe we forgot to The say tape anything. store. We've got a couple of cool pins from Are You Afraid of the Dark? Gary and Betty Ann have dropped. Yes. Check out the King and Queen of the Midnight Society. And you know what? You can order them and take them home. Put them on your bag. Put them on a hat. Whatever on, you, yeah, whatever whatever you, you want to show pins. off. Yeah. Yes, we would love for you guys to uh, share in our love of Are You Afraid of the Dark with us. Um, they're pretty cool pins, if we do say so ourselves. Yes. Brooke designed be, them. Yes. Great job, Brooke. Thanks. Yeah. So... <laughs> We'd we'll be fun. happy to share them with you. So, yeah, check out our Instagram. Uh, you can see pictures of them there. Um, you can also click on our link uh, on Instagram in our bio. Um, you can find the podcast, but mm-hmm. you can also find the, the Etsy shop. So you can yeah. go and get yours. Guys, have a good night. We'll see you next week. This is Toby. And this is Brooke. Take care of yourselves. Be safe. Bye.